Well, please open God's Word with me to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 2. Uh, during our Advent season, the season in which we are celebrating the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that we are waiting with anticipation of a second coming, a second Advent. Uh, during this Advent season, we have been uh, looking at the angel's revelation, first of all to Mary and then also to Zechariah. Now, this morning, we will see a most unusual revelation to shepherds in a field. Now, these were not men of importance uh, in the days of Israel. Instead, uh, we will see uh, that they were kind of considered lowlifes, and uh, yet God chose in His great wisdom to reveal Himself to them, these poor shepherds. Now, we can be sure that if we were the ones presenting our own Son as Savior of the world, we would certainly do things quite a bit differently. Now, God's ways are not our ways, and they might feel a bit unusual to us. But we will learn that God's unusual ways leads us to wonderful worship, that God's unusual ways, ways lead us to wonderful worship. Now, we will learn first that we have been given in this text unusual witnesses, next unusual worship, and thirdly, unusual wonder. So if you would follow with me in uh, Luke chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 8 through verse 20. This is the word of the living God. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, watch, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have certainly been blessed in this church with many babies. My calculations are correct. Uh, we have had, I had 14 written here. Now I can say 15 uh, babies born in the last year and a half. And seven instead of eight, now on the expectant list in our prayer bulletin. 
Now, when God said in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, Redeemer Church believes God's word and we will obey it. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, for some, it's their first child. And maybe when you found out for the very first time, I can be sure the first thought in your mind was to run down to downtown Grand Rapids and find the nearest homeless person you could find and make sure that he knew that you were expecting your first child. And then you probably found the nearest Uber driver and you're like, yes, we got to tell him too. Well, that would be rather unusual if you did that. People don't think of them as the most significant people in their lives, right? We usually tell our family and our friends and our church about what God has provided. So when we think about these shepherds, right, shepherds in that day were not significant people. One of the rabbis in ancient times actually said, let not a man bring up his son to be a donkey driver, nor a camel driver, nor a barber, nor a sailor, nor a shepherd, for their occupations are those of thieves. Well, that's not to say that every Uber driver or every sailor or every barber today is a thief. It's just that in that day, they didn't want their children to have those kinds of jobs, especially not a shepherd. Now, they were basically outcasts living in the fields with their sheep. Now, even David, the least significant brother, was out in the field when the prophet Samuel showed up. And so we learn first that when God revealed the birth of his son, he chose to use unusual witnesses. Verse 8 says, and in the same region, there were shepherds <clears throat> out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, there were probably multiple flocks and multiple shepherds that had come together so that they could take turns, some sleeping and some watching. So I want you to imagine that, you know, you just finish your turn, you just wake up from your nap, and it's late in the evening, and it's your turn to now watch the sheep. And then the night was quiet, right, at that particular moment, except for maybe some of the sheep that are bleating, until they witnessed an incredible glory that comes from the heavens. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So why would God choose to reveal the birth of the king of kings to some of the most insignificant people in all of Israel? And why did he not reveal himself in his glory to the religious leaders, for example? I mean, wouldn't that have actually made the difference for the Pharisees to have believed and received Jesus as the Lord if that glory had been shown to them? Well, God tried that once. You might remember when all of Israel was gathered at Mount Sinai and God had revealed himself in his glory and all the people were terrified and they were overwhelmed by the glory of the Lord that had shown to every Israelite at that moment. And then they immediately went away and worshiped a golden calf. Huh. So it must be a heart issue. It's not for lack of knowledge or revelation. 
And so as the Lord is at work in our hearts, right, we depend upon Him to show us that His ways are not our ways, our ways are not His ways. God had promised a Messiah, a Savior that would come. As it says in Isaiah 62, He would bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These poor shepherds were witnesses of the glory of God because God was fulfilling prophecy. Now, they were prophesied specifically to witness good news. First, they witnessed glory, and second, they witnessed good news. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, you probably know the word good news in the Greek, right? Euangelion is, is evangelism, right? You have the, the good news, the evangel, where we, can, we have that calling of God to tell that good news to the world. Now, notice that the good news was not merely for those people who were currently professing faith. It was for all people, all kinds of people, even shepherds. Now, we have no idea how religious these shepherds were, but they were certainly giving credit to the Lord that had revealed Himself to them. It's very possible that they were just like Simeon, that they were waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, the poor tend to have a greater sense of need. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is not talking about in that verse being poor in money, but being poor in spirit. In other words, we are spiritually bankrupt apart from Jesus. And when you know that, then you're much more ready to receive a Savior who has come. If you think you're doing great, right? If you think, you know, you and God are like this, and, and there's really, I mean, I mean, who better to be the friend of God than you, right? Like when we have ourselves at, at the focus, right, then we have a problem. But when we recognize, Lord, I am totally unworthy to be your child, totally unworthy to know you, it is only by your grace that you would save a sinner like me. That is a heart that is ready to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so the Lord revealed the glory of His Son to these poor shepherds who knew their need for a Savior. The angel made known to them, or made them witnesses of God's signs. So first, they were witnesses of His glory, then witnesses of the good news, and thirdly, witnesses to God's sign. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You realize how normal that sounds to us with most people here having heard that every year of their entire lives? To shepherds, Hearing that a baby was laid in a feeding trough, it was kind of like, he's where? Why would he be in a manger? 
That doesn't make any sense. And so it was a sign to the shepherds because there was probably a whole bunch of other swaddled babies in Bethlehem. Well, which one? Probably the only one, most certainly the only one laying in a feeding trough. He is Christ the Lord. Did you ever see any of those... uh, one of these things is not like the other memes. Well, there might be a, a, a line of stuffed animal dogs and then, you know, all the same color as the real dog that's in there. And, oh, you know, looks like it, but it's a little bit different. It's a real dog. Or maybe it's a bunch of flamingos that are all standing there. And then you see a swan among them also standing on one foot. Right? And then the one I laughed out loud at, it was a fish market, and you see this whole row of people uh, who are you know, preparing uh, to you know, package fish for the people that are there to buy it. And in the row, there's a seal standing at one of the booths that's there. And there's no fish at his table. It just says they suspect nothing. Now, among all the other infants in Bethlehem, we can be guaranteed there was none other lying in a manger. That was the sign that was given to them. And so they came, yep, that's the one. Now, you may not realize it, but the Lord has made us unusual witnesses as well. Now, I hope you don't take personal offense to this, but this is what God says in Deuteronomy 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. And just in case you only think that applies to Old Testament Israel, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, and even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God." We were not saved because we are great. We are sinners in need of a Savior. He chose to demonstrate His love by redeeming us. And He can use anyone He wants. And He did. Right? Adam was passive. Noah had a drinking problem. Job went bankrupt and lost all of his children. Abraham, Sarah, Elizabeth, and Zechariah were too old. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Naomi was a widow. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Ezekiel ate books. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Jesus three times to a servant girl. The disciples were forgetful and slept through prayer. Martha was worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was a serial divorcee. Zacharias was too short. Timothy had an all and Lazarus? Well, he was dead. We have no excuse. God can use anybody, and he does. We are the weak and the broken, and that's who God uses on purpose. 
we are all unusual witnesses in our own way. But then what happened next? Unusual follows unusual. We also see unusual worship. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now Luke makes sure that we know this happened suddenly, right? First there's an angel standing there, and now the entire heavens open up, and there's a multitude that are singing praise to our glorious God. Now, this is unusual worship because I think we all know here that as we spend time in worship, like the angels are presently singing praise to our glorious God in heaven, but it's unusual because I've never been in a worship service where you actually get to see them. I don't think you have either, right? It's rather unusual. If we did, that would be great, you know, wonderful time, right? Having the heavens open and we get to see God's glory in that particular place. But recognizing the worship of heaven helps us in our worship. They were singing glory to God in the highest, right? There's no higher place right, then heaven for God to receive glory. It's the highest of all high places, right, and His glory is the greatest of all glories. Remember, the Messiah, God's promised Savior, is being revealed finally after all of these millennia have gone by, and this is most certainly a time for worship. Now, we worship a prayer-answering covenant-keeping God. He's first spoke the promise, the, the promise of a Savior. He was declaring it to the devil, but Adam and Eve are right there in the hearing saying it will be the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. It is revealed through the rest of Scripture that this Savior is greater than Abraham. I mean, Jesus said himself that before Abraham was, I am. Right, we know from Scripture that uh, He is greater than Moses and the angels, as the book of Hebrews argues, that Jesus is greater than Jacob, greater than Jonah, greater than the temple, greater than Solomon, greater than John the Baptist, who is the greatest among all men, Jesus said. And the New Testament declares Jesus is greater than all. <laughs> yes, this good news is certainly a time for worship. But this was an unusual worship and an unusual message, right? God is paralleled in, in this, if you look at the, you know, the text as it's set apart in verse 14 there, we see that God is paralleled with men, highest is paralleled with earth, and glory is paralleled with peace. Now, we saw first how heavenly worship works, and second, horizontal uh, dimension that we have here is the worship we experience on earth. And he says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, most people are used to the King James Version, right? On earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Maybe you're familiar with the NIV. It says, on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Well, those sound rather different. Which one's correct, right? Who is the one who has pleasure, goodwill, and favor? in this particular verse. Did Jesus come so that we would be nice to our neighbors? 
Well, he did command us to love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself, so yes, but that's not his primary reason for coming because the person who has the pleasure in this particular verse is the Lord and his pleasure in his chosen people, those who have repented of their sins and who have put their trust in Jesus to forgive their sin, those who have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ and declared righteous, he has pleasure in us because of Jesus. To use Scripture, to interpret Scripture as is wise to do, Psalm 147 says, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. And so I have to ask you, do you fear God? Now, Scripture contrasts, particularly in Romans 8, Uh, Scripture contrasts the difference between a fear of terror, the fear of the slave, and a fear of respect and reverence, the fear of the son, right? And the very first fear that these shepherds had was the fear of terror, right? Whoa, the heavens open up, and they fall flat on their faces, and they had not just fear, great fear. And the angels always say, very first words, fear not, right? So, The fear not is don't have a slavish, terrorized fear of God. The question is, do we have a respectful reverence of God for the holy God that he is? And so seeing uh, that type of fear in our hearts, that's the question. Do we have that reverence? Do we have a hope in his steadfast love that has come in Jesus Christ? If that is your heart. You have that kind of fear and that kind of hope. The Bible says God takes pleasure in you. That is a glorious truth. But pleasure is not the only word in the message. The Lord is bringing peace among those who fear the Lord and hope in His steadfast love. Our worship is only genuine when we not only have peace that's vertical, but peace that's horizontal. Jesus said in Matthew 5, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now, is reconciliation with other sinners more important than worship? No. But God wants genuine worship. I mean, how can we genuinely praise God for all of his patience, his mercy, and his grace with sinners like us and then go mistreat other people? Well, I guess we can do it. We do do it. But it doesn't come from a heart of genuine worship. Right? Just read the book of 1 John to see how closely the two great commandments are tied together. It says in chapter 4, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so I want to ask you, where is your heart this Christmas season? Perhaps there are some family members, right? Maybe there are some friends or some coworkers or some neighbors that you have kind of been avoiding, 
The greatest present that you could possibly offer this year may be humbling yourself and seeking reconciliation. Now, you might be the one who is primarily offended. You might be the offender. But regardless, Jesus calls you to initiate reconciliation that we may celebrate his gracious favor and recognize that the peace Jesus came to bring is not just a vertical peace. It is to be both vertical and horizontal so that the people would know how real that grace can change a sinner's heart. But then what happened? Not only was there unusual witnesses and unusual worship, but certainly unusual wonder. Verse 15 says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. These shepherds did not procrastinate. It wasn't like the angels just gave them a tip on a restaurant they should try someday. Right? They didn't hesitate. United together, they said, let's go. we got to go see this amazing thing of what God has revealed. This thing that has happened, they said. And they found the very unusual sign. Yep, angel was telling the truth. Somebody put a baby in a manger. Well, I guess it makes sense. The whole family's in a stable, so what else did they have to put the baby in? Okay, cool. Check that one off the bucket list. No, were they just spectators? I mean, did they come and just say, hey, cool, saw the Savior, let's move on. Next thing, what are we going to go see next? Let's go find Mount Everest, right? Got our bucket list. No, they are not spectators that just come to a game and enjoy seeing it happen and then go home. They are called to be witnesses. And what are witnesses called to do? Witnesses are called to testify. Now, sports fans even testify about their favorite team, right? They're going to testify about how good that game was. They're going to tell you how great their team is. Even spectators do that, but witnesses, witnesses are called to open our mouths and say, this is what our Savior has done. This is who he is. This is what he has done in my life. This is how he has changed things for me. And we will share the wonder of that Savior with others. Verse 17 says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, brothers and sisters, we do not just have advice for an ignorant world. We do not just offer tips to people for your best life now. We were given a divine message about a holy God that created all things from nothing by the word of his mouth. The one who created the entire universe gave his one and only son to live, to die, and to rise again to forgive us our sins by faith, that we would be reconciled to God, to one another, and call all other sinners to faith in Jesus. 
Is there any more wonder-filled promise that we could share with other people? Is there anything that people need more than this? It's the greatest gift ever given, and it most certainly is the gift that keeps on giving. Every time we share it, we multiply the glory of the Lord in the earth. But it's not only for other people. The Lord still works very personally in each one of our hearts as we learn with Mary, secondly, to savor the wonder. First, to share the wonder, and second, to savor the wonder. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, when we spend time reading God's Word, I know there's times in my life when I spend four minutes reading and one minute praying, and yep, did what I'm supposed to do in the morning, right? Maybe you've had that experience as well. But however long you take, the question for every one of us is, are we getting to the place in our time in God's Word, in a time of personal worship, when we savor the wonder of God's love for a sinner like me? or in our time of corporate worship, or in a time of family worship, or in a time in your life group, in a time when you're gathered with other believers studying God's Word? Are we savoring God's love for us? Well, my wife often comments about how fast I eat. Men tend to conquer their food, and women tend to have a relationship with their food. You got to enjoy it, she says. Oh, I do. <laughs> but men, I do think the women, particularly Mary in this verse, can help us learn to savor the wonder of Jesus and not just check boxes in our spiritual lives. Meditate on the text that you read, the text that your life group studies, the text you hear preached. Meditate on it long enough for the wonder of God's glory to well up within your heart to say, wow, what a Savior that came for a sinner like me. It requires us to have that wonder if we are really going to believe that God is greater than all. But then we also have to share that wonder with others. And if that wonder is not there, if you're not amazed by the Savior you're talking about, it just sounds like you're selling something. But if you're amazed at this Savior, it just bubbles out of you, and you just want them to know as well. And we have an overwhelming privilege to join with angels and to join with these privileged shepherds to be witnesses for us to testify of the unusual love of our God. We are indeed unusual witnesses that can open our mouths and tell of the wonders of God's love and how He has worked in our hearts, and that we would ask Him to open our minds during our time of personal worship, corporate worship, any times of worship, that we would realize, even now, 
that though we know it's happening in our minds, that we can believe with all of our hearts that it is exactly the same time, heaven itself can declare with us glory to God in the highest among those with whom you are pleased by faith in Jesus Christ. And we all sing together, amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we... We don't know exactly what it would be like to be those shepherds and to see what they saw. But as as you filled our imaginations with that event, and as you impress upon our hearts and minds the incredible privilege that we have to sing with the angels who have heralded the glorious name of Jesus, we ask you, Lord, that it would not just remain here, but that the song of our heart 